And so I kind of wrote the book off my worst fears. Is included in the, it's a fiction story, but they're my worst fears are in this book. Hey, my friend, you have found the Functioning Hot Mess podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Murray, life coach and author. I started this show to share life lessons and hot mess moments along with a few shenanigans to let you know you're not alone in this roller coaster of life. Each week, you'll get a solo episode or an interview to help you improve your self-confidence, create healthy relationships, or become a better parent. If you love what you hear, hit subscribe and I'll automatically show up in your downloads each and every week. All right, let's get on with the show. Somehow I come across some of the coolest people on the planet, and I'm so excited to be able to bring to you an interview with one of them. Shallon Harris is someone I have come to respect and admire so much. She's military, she's law enforcement, and she's also a new author. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I wanted to let you know a little bit about the author and her story and where she comes from and why I think she's so amazing. And then we're also going to cover her her murder mystery novel that's just released. So her new book, it's incredible. I can't wait for you to learn more. So thank you so much for being here and let's just jump into this interview. All right. Thank you so much, Shallon, for being on the podcast. I am so excited to let all of the listeners know how amazing you are. So just a little bit of history. I met her, I guess it was about a year ago when I was launching my book and she so graciously joined my launch team. And since then, I've kind of kept track of her. We've got some cool stuff to talk about with you guys today. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. You're welcome. And I really want the listeners to know, I think you're a badass and I would love for you to (laughs) tell us a little bit about yourself and help them understand kind of why I think that. Like, tell us a little bit about Shallon. Um, Grew up in West Virginia, uh, was the start of it, and then uh, moved to California, young age in San Bernardino area. Um, started writing very young age, started with journals and uh, then into poetry and then short stories. Um, started playing bass guitar, uh, joined a punk rock band when I was 18 and left the country against my mom's better wishes and went on tour to Europe for three months wow. <laughs> playing with my band. Uh, when that was over, I came back. Uh, joined the army. I actually got put out of the army within when I was in basic training because I dislocated my knee. Um, did some other things. Went to school for audio engineering, and then nine eleven happened, and I thought where I really needed to be was in the military. So I re-enlisted. Uh, did two tours to Iraq. Um, made sergeant within two years. So that was definitely a big experience. Uh, got out. Uh, what I do after that? I was electrical engineer uh, for seven years, and then I got really bored. It was a great <laughs> job. I got really bored. Uh, I met a friend who had been a police officer for over twenty years, and I started doing ride-alongs with him. And I think I ended up working a whole shift with him for like three days straight. <laughs> I was having so much fun. And he goes, you need to do this. I go, you're right. And just like that, it was career swap and continued with the band and the music and then bought a Harley and what? kind of on a whim. I didn't know anybody who rode. So my uncle grew up, he putting me on the back of his bike. So I just went, bought one, then learned how to ride it. I didn't do it probably in the correct order, but (laughs) (laughs) I did the same thing. So I I can completely relate. I had them tow it to my house because I didn't know how to ride it. (laughs) And I just kind of figured it out and then kind of searched out some friends who rode and been riding ever since and started picking up riding again, actually, after I started got into a bad marriage. And then I started realizing I had no time for myself and any time for myself was made to feel selfish. And like I was 
you know, putting my marriage on a back burner. If I wanted to get a massage or go, you know, hiking or go do anything for myself. Um, it was just made to feel bad. So I, I shelved writing, I shelved reading books. I, I side put everything on the side. And then one day I just, I went up to the mountains for a week by myself and I thought, I'm going to start taking care of me again. And my first step in that, what I said, what did I used to love to do? I used to love to write. I haven't written anything in years. And I chose that week to just start writing again and moving forward with that. And then starting my self-care mode. And here I am. That's awesome. So I want to go back to a little bit that you said earlier. So you, a punk rock band, like how how in the heck did you get started in that? And how did that take you overseas? I was probably 13, 12 or 13. um, When I got introduced to punk rock by my friend's older brother, Uh, he used to have to take us out with him because his parents said, if you're going out, take your little brother with you. And he was like, I don't want my little brother tagging around. So, hey, little brother, you bring a friend. <laughs> right. So he would always bring me. And part of that was going to the shows, to gigs, to see bands play. And that was the beginning of, I'm like, I love this music. I would go headfirst into it and had the mohawk and colored hair and did all that fun stuff. And then after seeing bands play all the time, I my friend had a bass guitar, an old one, and he used to always play around with it. And then one Christmas, his he got a new bass, and he gave me his old one. And I just kind of sat down in front of my stereo with cassette tapes, and I would listen to punk music and just taught myself how to play those songs. And then just kept playing. And then finally one day, a group of teenagers in high school started our punk band. And I played a backyard party and this other big punk band that was kind of headlining as a favor to one of their friends uh, saw us play. And then I got a phone call from the singer of that band about six months later. And she said, Hey, our bass player quit. Would you be interested? And I was just floored because this band was already signed to a record label and established in, in that type of music. and all that stuff. So I said, yeah. How old were I you? I was 17 and then 18 when, uh, when we did the European tour. Wow. That's a, that's a kid. You were still just a kid. <laughs> I was, I was. And everybody else in the band was way older than me, probably in their thirties. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> but you know what, what an experience. It was amazing. It was an amazing time. It was a, it was definitely an experience. It was very cool things in Europe and all over. I'd never been anywhere really, except for a few States um, here. I'd never been out of the country. So just kind of thrown out of the country and then experiencing, like, I think we covered um, 12 countries in those, in that amount of time. So it was fascinating. Yeah. You know, a lot of us, you know, in whatever age, I'm in my 40s and I have the imposter syndrome. I have tons of self-confidence issues before I start something new. Did you go through all that as a kid or were you, you know, the 17-year-old who's 10 feet tall and bulletproof? Oh, absolutely not. I was I was insecure about everything at that age. Um, I got really good grades, did good in school, but I got suspended a lot. or it was just, you know, I, I had a little chip on my shoulder. Um, probably, you know, as I got older and I'm thinking it's probably because I was so insecure, uh, about everything, you know, Mm -hmm. I start playing bass and I'm like, you know, every band I see, I watch the bass player. Wow. That bass player is way better than me, you know, with, with everything. Um, you know, I start, I write, wrote short stories back then. Um, I won a few writing contests in school, but then there's always, you know, not the next year. And then the next year, it's always somebody else. Oh, I was, uh, 
probably low self-esteem the majority of my life <laughs> until yeah. I got older and didn't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. Once that give a damn kind of goes away, then things get a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh-huh. then actually then the confidence comes with it and mm-hmm. you start building the confidence and, and it's kind of amazing. But I love what you said because, I mean, I think there's a lot of lessons just in this little teenage kid's head where you're watching other bass players, you're seeing what they do. I mean, noticing that they're so much better, and I'm sure there was a ton of self-comparison, but I think that's what a lot of us kind of forget to do is we think that we have to figure it out all on our own. And yet, if we watch other people who are doing kind of what we want to do, if we can get out of the comparison trap, that's better, but we can watch and learn and grow and try to pick up some of those things that we see them doing that they're successful at that we, you know, we kind of want to emulate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that was definitely me. I'd watch people and with the kind of crushing, wow, I felt good about playing, but now I, you know, the next band that goes on, that bass player is really good. Um, it's kind of a little crushing feeling, but then you watch them and you go, okay, well, what are they doing? And then I would just go home and just practice. I practiced all the time to the point where my sister would be banging on the walls, on the bedroom walls, turn it (laughs) off, (laughs) turn it down. No kidding. What did your mom do when you took off and went overseas? Well, I was 18 by that point. So she really couldn't stop me. Um, but she tried very hard. She was, oh, she was crying. She was scared. She's like, you've never, you know, I'm just going to send you away off to this far off land to where, and this was in the nineties. So it was, you know, no cell phones, Mm -hmm. no real, you know, she's like, how often are you gonna be able to call? I don't know. You know, I didn't Mm -hmm. even know how to get a passport. I had to have mommy help me go Mm -hmm. get a passport. You know, I'm thinking I'm grown. I'm 18. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Europe. Mom, can you help me get a passport? I don't know how. (laughs) Yeah. And she's just here like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so bad. She was. And then she kind of flipped and was kind of, she was scared mom the whole time. Mm -hmm. She said, I'm going to live vicariously through you. She had my sister and I very young age. So she missed out on a lot of things she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So part of that was traveling and stuff. So she says, you know, just take a lot of pictures, be careful. You know, she's like, I'm really happy for it. Cause at your age, I would have wanted to do the same thing. You know, I can't say I would have said no as an 18 year old with, you know, she goes, actually now's probably the time to do it. You're not going to be able to drop everything later on and go spend months in Europe. Right. You know, right. <laughs> so she was supportive. Um, but scared. Yeah. Did you understand that as a kid? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's good. Absolutely. Yeah. So you went from punk rock band to army. Yes. I mean, how did that happen? Because to me, in my mind, those are two completely opposite ends of the, (laughs) (laughs) of the the world. They very, they really are opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, my grandfather, I was very close to him growing up. Actually, we lived with him for a majority of my childhood, pretty much all of it. And he was in the army in the Korean War. And he used to show me pictures and he had all this uh, footlocker with his old army stuff in it. And I really looked up to him. And it just was always kind of in the back of my mind that that's what I wanted to do. Um, it was kind of. I went back and forth with it as I got older. Yeah, I want to go to the army, but no, I want to go to college. No, I want to do that. And as I got older, I got kind of lost. I I don't, I had no clue what I wanted to do. By the time I was graduating high school, everybody seemed to know what they wanted to do. Oh, I'm going to, I applied to these colleges because I want to be a lawyer. I want to do this. I want to do that. I was still, I want to play soccer and I want to play music. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that I was like, mm, those, neither one of those are really careers. But at that age, I was kind of lost. So finding the punk rock 
band and the music and the culture and kind of the scene of how camaraderie there is no matter where you go. You don't have to know the person. Everybody's very friendly and very welcoming. Um, so I kind of went into that field, um, but still always held that, you know, military thing in there. And then when I got back and the punk band, um, from after the tour kind of ended still playing in the band, but it was more like, okay, well now you're home. The band is more of a weekend thing. My mom's like, what are you going to do? She's like, cause you can't live here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're an adult. You can't. You know, she's big on, you will not live here till you're 30. That's right. not happening, you know. Right. Nor did I want to, but I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so then it became, let's go back to the military thing. Mm -hmm. So it was that. So when you, so did you re-enlisted at 9-11? Yes. Did you just know, yes. like you felt that call and you just ran down and said, here we go, sign me back up? It, the day 9-11 happened and I'm watching it on the news, I knew I was re-enlisting. And I knew not to tell my mom or anyone in my family because they were going to talk me out of it or try to talk me out of it. So I secretly went and re-enlisted probably just weeks after 9-11. Yeah. What were you, so when you were watching that, like what was going through your mind? I remember that day very vividly. Right. I... I was thinking I was angry mm -hmm. and I was, you know, and I was still at that point, I wanted to do something. All I wanted to do was help and just watching it on the news. And I'm in California. This is New York. It's, you know, 3000 mm -hmm. miles away and I'm watching it and it's just horrific. And I wanted to help. I wanted to do something. And I actually, my friend Johnny and I started a fundraiser and we, we didn't know what we were, we just wanted to participate. We wanted to help. And we raised probably only like $500. And then we found like the fireman's fund, uh, for nine 11 and we sent it to that. And it was just kind of like, what can I do? Well, mm -hmm. you know, the whole talk on the news was we're going to war. We're going to war. That was right from the beginning. That was the talk on the news. And I thought, well, then I need to go to war. If that's, mm -hmm. you know, doing something, I feel like I need to do, I can't just sit here and watch this. I need to do something. And to me, that was, Hey, I was going to the army before Let's do this again. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was pregnant with my oldest and I remember just watching in disbelief and thinking, how is this even like, is this trick? trick photography. Is this real? I just, it, it didn't seem real. And right. I remember just feeling so disheartened. And I was like, what am I doing? Like I'm bringing this child into this world and who knows what this is going to look like. It was, it was definitely, it was terrifying in so many ways. Yeah. And, you know, it's one thing when you're like, it's just me. But then here I'm like, what is this world going to look like? And here I'm bringing this baby into it in a few months. And that was awful. Yeah. That had to have been stressful and yeah. scary and with all the uncertainty and how is this kid going to, what kind of world is, you know, yep. going to grow up in? I yep. can imagine. Yep. It yeah. was crazy. So then you got deployed twice. Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah. I was there for the invasion. Um, when the Marines went in first, um, I was in third infantry division. We were the next ones in. Uh, so I was on the push to take over Baghdad. Um, so during, yeah, it was during the invasion during shock and awe. I was there for all that. Um, yeah, it was crazy. And then I was there. For, so it's 2003. And then I went back to my duty station in Georgia for 2004. And then we got sent back over to Baghdad again in 2005. And I was there that entire year. Um, and while I was there, my sister, my only sibling back home got cancer. And I was there the entire time and she passed away while I was in Iraq. Oh. So it was horrible. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awful. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So it was, they, they let me go home on emergency leave for the funeral. Um, and that's actually why I got out of the army. I planned on, I actually planned on making it a career, you know, 20 mm-hmm. years, do the whole thing. Um, but once she passed, she left behind two kids mm. and her husband, her husband just, he actually fell apart. He, he disappeared. Aww. My mom's like, he never came back. What do you, he just vanished. He wow. ran off and couldn't handle it. So my mom was left with my niece and nephew. And the next year it was time for me either to reenlist or get out. And I was like, I need to go help my mom. She's older and now she's got two little kids and you know, so we didn't really have any family in California. All of our family's still in West Virginia. So I came back home to help raise them. Wow. And I'm sure she was just so grateful. And you've been, I mean, it sounds like you're pretty close with the kiddos too. Very close, very close. My sister had my nephew when she was 17, 18. So she still lived at home um, until she got her nursing degree and moved out and stuff. But so my nephew was born when she lived at home and I was very, very close to him. So he grew up, you know, in the household. Um, she ended up having my niece 10 years later with her husband. Um, but still I was very close. I'm still very close to both of them. My nephew actually ended up going to the army Oh wow! because of me. Aww. And I tried to talk him out of it. <laughs> I tried very hard to talk him out of it. I said, go to the Navy, go to the yeah. Air Force. All your friends are in the Navy, go to the Navy. He's like, but Aunt Shallon, you were in the army. Grandpa was in the army. Great grandpa was in the army. I'm going to the army. I'm like, crap. You said, well, we just didn't know better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh... But he went in and he excelled. He did. He did 10 years. Wow. Um, yeah. And went to Afghanistan and all that. So, I mean, I bet that, you know, as you were making these decisions and going into these different fields, I bet the last thing you expected was that you were going to kind of pave the way for someone else. That, that never crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. I think yeah. it just goes to show that we never know who's watching and who's looking up to us and for what reason and what they're, what they're gathering. It's just, Kids are amazing. Very much so. And oh, I was always, and probably the year before I left for Iraq, uh, my nephew was in school and my sister had called me and she said, and my nephew's name is Josh. She said, Josh had to write a paper in school and he was young on his hero. They had to write about their hero and everybody wrote about Batman and Superman. And she said, you know who he wrote his paper on? I said, Oh, he wrote it about you. She goes, no, he wrote it about you. <laughs> and she was crying happy tears. And you know, that made me cry. And he was young and I'll, I never forgot that. And that's what kind of really struck the, that was really the light bulb mm-hmm. of, Oh man, like, you know, I didn't really realize I'm going to influence this this kid's life is not my child. So I never really thought about it mm-hmm. that way. Um, and that's when it kind of hit home that I was like, Oh man, he's, he's watching, he's mm-hmm. paying attention. Oh, know? how adorable is that? So, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking of just the things that we've covered so far. And I mean, two deployments, loss of a sister, helping out with kiddos, returning, you know, home to help your mom and stuff. I'm just wondering, like, I know that you have to have been through a lot of hard, challenging times. I mean, just a deployment in and of itself and all that you did in that time. Like, what did you do to get through those hard things? Because those toughest moments where you feel like I can't, I can't do this. How did you, where did, what did you do to find that? That's where I picked up the going, that's where I picked up exercise and going to the gym. Um, after, you know, being in the military kind of really started that of working out, having to be in shape kind of thing. But that really, I never, exercised or worked out 
outside of work, outside of the army PT. I would go home or do other things, but I really dove in and realized I needed to, I needed an outlet and I needed to channel all the stress and I, you know, everything I was having to deal with. And that's where I really picked up, um, exercise. You know, that's interesting because I've heard it a lot of times I've heard them say that, you know, exercise is the most underutilized antidepressant and not only the physical benefits, but everything that it does for your mental health as well. And I, I truly believe that I can feel it when I'm on my A game versus when I'm not. Absolutely. Me too. So what, so, I mean, I'm thinking there had to be some times, even like when you were deployed or when you were facing the death of your sister, where you were just like, there's no way, there's no way I can go on. There's no way this is happening or real. What did you like? Did you think of something new in that moment or something different? How did you push through like that really tough moment? I was journaling that time. So you're speaking my language here. (laughs) Yes. And it's funny you say that because actually today I had to buy, I own a safe at home. It's just a small one for papers. Well, it got kind of full. So I went and bought a bigger safe and I just transferred papers from one to the other. And what I came across was my journal from Iraq. Wow. And from all that time. And I started reading through it and I was like, wow, I didn't even remember feeling that way. Yeah, You know, like it kind of subsides over time of how, how bad it was. Yeah. You know? Um, but that's what I did during that time was, uh, I started journaling. I was journaling a lot every single day, sometimes twice a day. That's so cool. And, you know, I just, I think that sometimes it's those little things that we, we expect it, you know, getting through hard times, we expect it to be some monumental, huge effort, but it's things that we can do every day. It's things like exercise and journaling and, you know, for me, even meditation and stuff. And I think right. we discount those little things because they seem too simple. We think there's no possible way that that can help me through this huge crisis. And yet that is exactly what will get you through that huge crisis. Right. And reading, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just even if you're reading, you know, fiction, it kind of, it or not, or whatever you like to read, it's something you like that you're reading. It takes you away from that. I need to do this right now. I need to do that. I'm worried about that. I'm stressed about that. It takes you away from that kind of, Mm -hmm. and it puts you in this other world that you're, that you're doing and it's relaxing. Mm -hmm. It, it, it lets you kind of settle down. It kind of, you know, calms all of that in the mind. That's just going, you know, constant over here, over here. I need to do this. I need to do that. I'm stressed on this I'm stressed on that. What if this, what if that, you know, the anxiety, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Reading was, it was another big one, you know, just, Oh, go ahead. Oh, just, just actually getting outside. I started actually, I went from reading, which was helping to sitting outside and reading, which actually changed, changed things too. Mm-hmm. Is it just, just being outside? Yeah. Just yeah. the air, the, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the sounds, the, you get all five senses, you know, you've kind of got it all going on there. Right. Right. And that was really relaxation mode. So. I think, you know, I'm all about audiobooks, and obviously podcasts are my thing. And even watching YouTube videos and whatnot. And as much as I love that and I consume a ton of it, it's not the same as reading. I mean, I can keep folding clothes. I can do dishes. I can vacuum. I, I mow my lawn with my earbuds in and listen to something like Mm -hmm. you, but when you read, it forces you to sit down or slow down at least you know, you can't, you can't consume that while you're driving or whatever. And it just makes a huge difference. And I think we've lost a lot of that. 
Right. And I do audio books too, mm-hmm. but I love the paperback books for exactly that reason. You know, like hit the nail on the head mm-hmm. for me because my mom always says it. She, she tells me all the time. She'll call me. She goes, you're always doing something. <laughs> She's like, just, just sit down, you know, <laughs> just, or just relax. Cause even if I'm sitting down and I put a movie on, I don't know. It's, I start doing something else while the movie's on, <laughs> I you know, like, I can't, and you're absolutely right. The only thing that forces you to not be doing 10 other things at one time is reading. Yeah. 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 And my boyfriend always says I'm hard to keep up with. And I'm like, <laughs> I get it, you know, but when I swear, one of the reasons he's in my life is to slow me down because when he's there, I will sit and watch a movie and I won't multitask watch a movie. And sometimes I do that with my kids, you know, I'm, they're watching a kid movie and I'm like, oh, please, no, I can't see this again. You know, so I'm trying to journal or do something in the middle of their movie. But with him, I allow myself to just sit and be present and watch the movie. And I'm just like, wow, it's been so long since I just calmed down and slowed down. And those things are so incredible. I think, I think that as a whole, that's what we're missing. Absolutely. And we're so, you know, and it's even hard just the small things. Like if you're sitting with your boyfriend watching a movie or if I'm sitting watching a movie, how many times do I check my phone during that movie? Yes. A lot. Mm -hmm. And then I tell myself, okay, I'm going to put it on silent. So it's not, I'm just going to sit and do one thing. And then I kind of get the, okay, okay, I'll just check it again real quick. I'll just check Facebook. And I, it's just almost like I can't, yeah. <laughs> and I have to literally go put it in another room mm-hmm. in order to just sit and not multitask or not do something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. So you also do, you help inspire and promote self-care. Yes. That's, actually a huge thing for me. Um, I think because I tried it so many times in the past and I felt like it was either taking time away from friends and family or I, I didn't make it a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I started making it a priority, I was in such a bad marriage relationship that I was actually told, I was actually told by my mother-in-law. She said this to me and I loved her to death. Great, nice woman. We got along very well, but she told me, you know, Shallon, all of your self-care stuff is really selfish. Oh, wow. She said that to me. Uh. And I said, actually it's not. (laughs) She said, well, you know, all this time that you're going to the gym and you're you know, doing yoga or you're doing this or that. She goes, it's time you could be spending at home with my son. And I said, well, for one, I don't do all those things in one day. Right. You know, it's, it's an hour out of the day to go to the gym and it's not seven days a week. And it's, or I take this time to sit down. I want to read, you know, Mm -hmm. a book or this, you know? Um, And then it was my once a year, what I started doing was going um, just an hour away from our house up to the mountains to decompress. My job is very stressful and I have a, had a hard time decompressing and letting go all the stuff I was dealing with at work. So I would once a year, I decided I'm going to go to the mountains because that's my favorite place to be. And I'm just going to meditate. I'm going to Zen out mm-hmm. <laughs> and I started doing, I said, once a year, I'm going to do something by myself. Mm-hmm. And that just became, who are you really going with? Who's mm-hmm. go, who are you meeting there? Who are you, you know, mm-hmm. nobody, nobody I'm going by myself. Mm-hmm. Like I've never been a person you can't trust. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I need some alone time because it's, it's, I need it. Yeah. Life gets I'm too like, much. What? Right. And I'm like, it's once a year. I'm not even asking for once a month. I'm saying once a year I'm going to go, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I started feeling very guilty after my mother-in-law said that. And my husband was constantly, you know, I was just, Oh, you're, you're going again. You're going to the gym again. I go, I go three days a week, you yeah. know, for one hour. And 
the majority of the time you're at work when I go. So I don't understand the problem, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then I finally got to a point, I, I started going to a therapist and I said, am I crazy here? Like, I, I don't want to be rude. Yeah. I don't want to take away from my friends and family. I don't want to be this asshole, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Um, but at the same time, I want a break, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And my therapist was like, um, no, that's absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. And my therapist reverted back. And that's what I still go back to. She said this. And I, it sits with me. She said, there's a reason the flight attendants on the plane tell you to put your own oxygen mask on before putting it on someone else, even a child. Mm-hmm. She said, there's a reason for that. And everybody on the plane always goes, well, I would definitely put it on my kid first mm-hmm. or on this person first. But the, mm-hmm. the theory is, depending on the level you're at, you could pass out very quickly mm-hmm. if there's no oxygen on that plane. Mm-hmm. So it's you can't help other people unless you're helping yourself. You're no good to other people mm-hmm. if you're not helping yourself. And then I started feeling less selfish and going, this is actually selfless. This isn't selfish at all. So, well, I had two thoughts with that. One is with the words that your mother-in-law told you, you know, like, I think she just put into into words and said out loud what so many of us say to ourselves. Like we Absolutely. and I don't know if it's just our nature or if it's pre-programming or cultural programming whatever, I don't know. But I feel like so many people that I talk to and work with have that exact same feeling. They they don't necessarily have someone say it to them, but they do that to themselves. They think well, I can't go do that because I'm supposed to be here for my kids. I know I put myself through that. And every now and then I get right. really good at it. And then something happens and I kind of fall back into over caretaking, I guess, and stop right. taking care of myself. And I have to kind of kick myself in gear again. And I think that she just put it into words, though. You know, it was her that said it to you, but I think we say it to ourselves. Absolutely. And it, when she said it out loud, it did, it kind of caught me, you know, off guard. And I was like, ouch, mm-hmm. that kind of stung, you know, mm-hmm. and she wasn't saying it to be mean, mm-hmm. but she meant it. Right. You know? Right. She was just saying, you know, that's, it's, you know, it's very selfish of you to want to do these things for yourself, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking, I don't even have kids. Yeah, (laughs) You know, I feel like it would be one thing if I had kids, I feel like it's, you know, parents have a harder time with that, understandably. And I'm like, wow, I'm just over here with an adult man who can fend for himself for an hour, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm still being told what I'm doing is selfish. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what? It's the reason I hadn't been doing it all along because you're absolutely right. I felt that way and just never put it into those words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that since I've started taking better care of myself, I feel like I'm a better mom. I feel like I'm a better person that I'm able to contribute more to society. Not like I wasn't before, but it's more intentional now. Like I enjoy it. I'm not just going through the motions. I like to sit down and have a conversation with my kids where before it was a little more like, yeah, but we have to do this, this, and this. And it's just different. Everything changes. And I think for the better. Absolutely. I feel like it, one of the main things that helps is, you know, it's, it's it's so small, but it's not is your mood. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it taking care of yourself, you just come home in a better mood mm-hmm. or you're, or even if you're doing it at home, you know, or whatever you're doing, it just helps you be in a better mood. If you're in a better mood, you're better for your spouse or your significant other, your kids, you know, mm-hmm. everybody, nobody wants to walk on eggshells around the house because mom's in a bad mood right. or my wife's in a bad mood or whatever. Mm-hmm. So if you go do this one thing, you go meditate for a little bit, go read, you know, have your time and you come back and you're like, Hey, what are we doing now guys? You know, mm-hmm. and you're in such a good mood. It's, 
it's huge. Mm-hmm. It's not a small thing. That's a big thing. I think, you know? I think it's funny that you talk about the mountains because that's my happy place too. I love being in the trees. And, you know, I, I don't know how I was coming across at work. This was, I don't know, I think it was a couple of years ago, but one of the gals I work with, she's amazing. And we can say things to each other that probably most people couldn't get away with. You know, we're just kind of that close. And there was one day that she came in and she sat down. She's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm good. What, why? What's up? She's like, well, I was just thinking, you know, you haven't really done much lately. You haven't been getting out. You've been working hard. And she's like, I really think you need to take a break. And I was like, you know, my first thought is, what the hell are you talking about? I don't have time for a break, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, okay, she must be seeing something that I'm missing because she wouldn't just come in and tell me to go take a break, you know? (laughs) And so I said, well, I said, okay, I, I hear you. I can't right now but I will put it in my planner. It will happen like, you know, whatever my time frame was. And that was what I did. I put in my planner and I took like whatever day off and went to the mountains, just sat in the trees. I wrote, I was, I had started my book by that point. So I even took my computer with me and just sat up there. I was out of service range and just, just totally enjoyed everything, the sights, the sounds, the everything. And I'm grateful that I have someone who's kind of watching out for me to let me know that I don't know if I was being kind of bitchy or <laughs> I have no idea what I was right. doing, but she <laughs> saw it and she's like, you need to go. <laughs> you know, she basically like sent me home. And I think we all need people like that in our lives. But at the same time, if we don't have them, we can do that for ourselves. We can do that personal check-in and, right. you know, watch, watch out for yourself. I feel like we need more of those. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you're your coworker, your friend, she's because a lot of our friends and family, they'll think that they'll whisper it amongst each other. What's wrong with her? Is mm-hmm. she okay? And if, no, I don't know what's going on with her. You know, they kind of, but they don't just say it right like that. Like she did for you. Like mm-hmm. you need to go. Yeah. And that's actually awesome. Mm-hmm. And that actually makes me want to do that for other people mm-hmm. instead of just, sidestepping it and going, hope they're okay. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, they seem stressed or they're being bitchy or they need, you know, they're on overload right now. Mm -hmm. It's to just say it. Right. That's, that's great. Just throw it out there. So the other thing I had come up um, when you were talking about that was once you started, so you were married and you were in um, that relationship, you started caring for yourself and doing those you know, additional things that just made you feel better. Did it get worse? Did your relationship get worse or was he supportive of you taking care of you? My relationship absolutely got worse. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Cause like, I, I mean, that's what I was, I'm like that had to, ha- I, some people can handle it really well and s- some not so much. It, it was mostly because he was very insecure, very, very insecure. So the more I cared for myself, the more insecure he got, mm-hmm. um, you know, the more like weight I lost and I'm starting to look better at the gym and stuff like that. He'd make comments. Who are you really working out for? Mm-hmm. You know, for myself, mm-hmm. that's who I'm working out for. You know, um, my, I had got a personal trainer. So my gym sessions would go a little longer. Um, I actually got a really good trainer who was just kicking my butt. Mm-hmm. So I'd be gone an hour and a half instead of an hour. Mm-hmm. Where did you go after? Oh, so now I, you know, it was just every time I'm trying to do something for myself, it was, and like I said, when I went to the mountains, who are you meeting there? Who's, who's really going, I'm going alone, mm-hmm. you know? And then when I came back, Oh, did you have fun with your boyfriend? Mm-hmm. You know, just the comments constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it turns out he's the one having affairs. Oh, Go yeah. figure. Right. Weird. Go figure. Right. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah. We've never heard it, that before. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's exactly how it was. And then I'm like, Oh, that's why you started getting so, but it got projected onto me. Mm-hmm. You know, the more I cared for myself, the more he dug and, you know, mm-hmm. just the angrier he got, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that a lot of that, I think it happens 
on a lot of different levels, you know, and it may not always be with a significant other or a husband or whatever that's having those issues, but we see it when we start to take care of ourselves and we slowly start to level up, whether it be health and fitness or reading or meditating, whatever. And it's almost like the people who are closest to you, it triggers them in a way, or it makes them afraid. I don't know if they're afraid of getting left in the dust, or if you take off and start, you know, excelling and growing, we're not going to be friends anymore. Like who knows what it is, but it raises a fear in, in the people who are closest to us. And it, it kind of causes some problems sometimes. Right. It's, and I, I still find that very weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm so supportive of even my friends who wa- want to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when I'm doing, you know, if I'm going to start, you know, a business, if I'm going to write a book and I still maintain a full-time job, my fr- I've had, you know, a couple friends instead of going, oh, that's great. You're doing, you're accomplishing a lot. I've gotten comments the other way going, when are you going to stop? Yeah. You know, are you, what, why do you keep doing something? You're always, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, because, it, you know, it's fulfilling and I feel like I'm making progress. I feel, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, then I'm like, and even, yeah, like you said, it's even friends, mm-hmm. they say the same things. Like, and I was thinking, wow, I was thinking you would say, well, good for you. Hope it works out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And instead it's, when are you going to stop or what, what's next? Mm-hmm. One friend said, yeah, and it's like, I don't know. I'll let you know. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> but it's, it's like, it's part of who I am and right. right. You know, it's, it's a drive. It's a desire. It's a never give up. It's, I don't know. There's something behind it that it's just, it's just, it's part of an identity and part of a nature right. that, but I, I do see that. And I see people think, well, and I think a lot of times it's, um, well-meaning, you know, they don't want to see you hurt right. or see you fail or see you take on too much to where you have a breakdown or something. And so I think a lot of times it comes across or it's meant well and heartfelt, but it's like, I can't, I don't want to assume your fear. Like, I, I need to be able to try this. And if I fail and it doesn't succeed, that's okay too. But don't, right. don't put your insecurity and your fear on me. I can't carry that for you. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that. Mm-hmm. I can't assume your fear. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. I just, I love that. yeah, that's absolutely true. And I get it. You know, I'm a parent, I've got three boys and you know, I see their huge potential and I see when they limit themselves and I see when they're reaching out and I get it. Like I feel all the roller coaster of that, but it's just, you do you, you learn it your way. You know, we're all going to learn one way or another. And I know that there's, I can't protect them from life lessons. That's the best way to learn. And I think we kind of all need to get to that place too. Right. I agree. I agree. So you have a book and it's out. Yes. Yes. Finally. (gasps) (laughs) I'm so excited. I'm I'm so scared. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I have never, it's funny growing up, even writing other than the ones I've submitted for school or for school competitions and things like that. When I was way younger, um, mind you, I took many, many years off writing it all. So it was like, you know, kind of relearning some things, but it's very intimidating. Yeah. It's very intimidating. Um, but exciting at the same time. I'm very excited. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to write a book my entire life. And kept putting it off, putting it off. And then I just, the thought disappeared for many years. And then I said, I'm going to do it. And it's done. (laughs) And I can't believe it. (laughs) And I'm weird because nobody, I don't ever have anybody read what I write. Yeah. So this makes me feel very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously it's my first book. I'm not a professional writer. I'm not at, you know, there's going to be mistakes. It's not going to be, I just hope people just 
read it and they go, well, it wasn't horrible. <laughs> well, I can, In all honesty, I, I will take that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can tell you, I was, while we were waiting to get on the call, I had signed on a few minutes early. And so I just started picking it up and kind of reading through and just started it. And I like my heart was pounding and I was totally lost. And then I was like, oh, crap, I need to see if she's on. So I had to look up at the computer and I was like, oh, she's here. I don't know how long you'd been there while I was totally just consumed. So I'm really, I'm already in love with it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it, what it is, and maybe how you got there, how you came up with this idea. It's a fiction story um, about a home invasion to a retired police detective. So it's, the idea came because I'm a I'm a true crime nerd for one, um, and let me tell you how big of a true crime nerd I am. Have you heard of the ID Channel Investigation Discovery? No. Do you, do you guys have that? Okay, so ID Channel is all real life. They have different TV shows, but they're all true. They're all true stories. Like, who the bleep did I marry? Is one. Um, Mm-hmm. like your, your neighbor, you find out your neighbor next door. It's, it's all these different crime things. So I'm big into that. Um, I'm a police officer, I, you know, I into the crime stuff, but my worst fear personally is somebody coming into my house mm-hmm. because my house is my comfort zone. It's where I'm not on guard. It's where I'm not on edge. And I actually, you know, a home invasion is somebody coming in very fast or at a time when you're not expecting it. You're not prepared really to defend yourself. Um, and so I kind of wrote the book off my worst fears mm-hmm. is what's included in the, it's a fiction story, but they're my worst fears are in this book. <laughs> and there's a couple other ones in there. Um, it is violent. I do have to say that for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten great feedback from my launch team, which made me feel really good. Um, but also one person told me, and I should have put it out there to my launch team, but I will with my book that I should do like a trigger warning. Ah, mm-hmm. so I'll put that out there now. Um, it has violence. It has violent sexual situations kind of in it. So, um, I mean, it's not over the top, right? I want to put put that out there for anybody who that might be a trigger toward. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's where it came from. I wanted to do something with, with crime. And I thought, what's my worst, my worst fear is somebody coming in my house, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, when I'm asleep uh, mainly. So I kind of played off of that, which made it easier to write. Yeah. Have you handled a lot of cases like these in your daytime job, your cop job? Not a ton of them, but I've had two, which I remember very vividly. And one was an elderly lady who called 911 because she woke up and a man was standing over her in her bedroom. Mm. Uh, Luckily, all he was doing was, you know, creepy standing over her and staring at her. And she just kind of woke up because she just kind of felt it. And when she saw him, she screamed and that scared him. And he ran out, um, but he had broken in through a window. He didn't break the window. He was able to shimmy it open. So it was quiet. Um, And then he ended up, we ended up catching him, but her fear she's like, he got, he made his way through the entire house. She had a, a pretty big house. And tur- turns out he had he had gone in and he was eating food out of her refrigerator. Ugh. He was doing all these things around her house for a good thirty minutes before he went up to her room and just stood there. Mm. Um, could he have killed her if he wanted to? Absolutely. And then when I went on that call and took that case, I am like, that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's terrifying. That's horrible. And that's, that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. That really stuck with me. Um, so that's kind of what played out on this first book. I thought with the first book too, I want to write with something that I, you know, I can just come up with because yeah, that's my fear. Yeah. So what would I, you know, instead of just 
pulling things out of left field that I know nothing about really, Mm -hmm. you know, I just kind of went off my, my own kind of fears. And then it just kind of went from there. Did it freak you out while you were writing it? I mean, did you write it and it's so real that you're like, did you feel it as you wrote it? Some parts? Yes. And actually it's funny you say that because I wrote it and I would go back and reread and I would say to myself, I really, and I go, I would get goosebumps and I would think, I hope this comes across to other people as I'm, as I intend it, you know, as I'm reading it, as I'm, you know, intending it to come across because that's one big thing too, is people, we can write and do things and somebody else can read it and get a totally different, like, no, that's not what I meant at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I'm hoping, cause even when I've gone back and reread parts, I, I kind of went, Whoa, mm-hmm. that's creepy. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> I came up with that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you know? I think people feel the energy that you write it in though. I, I don't know. I think that some of that transfers and even if the, the, details maybe you know maybe you meant them one way and i take them another i still think we all get that feeling that you put into that when you wrote it like i don't know that's kind of how i feel with right. books i'm like i i feel that almost like an energy i don't know yes yes and i'm hoping that comes across mm-hmm. I, I really I, I feel i feel good about it i do um i felt more confident as I was getting feedback from my launch team. Yeah. Um, it was, it was way better feedback than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. So I'm feeling like it went from, I'm hoping, you know, and I still do, I hope people read it and go, well, that wasn't horrible, but if they read it and go, pretty good, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not Stephen King, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay with that. But I, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the work. Is it hard for you to take the compliments? Like when you get that positive feedback, do you feel a little bit of a hesitation almost? Like, oh, are they just, is it just flattery or do they mean that? Yes. So when I'm getting the feedback from people I know, I feel more, I, I don't feel like they're lying to me. I feel like they're softening it. And I feel like, mm-hmm. well, would you, you know, come on, tell me, you know, the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, I am, it's, you know, it's good. And I, I start to feel, you know, one way or the other, but when I get responses from people that are on my launch team, I don't know people from self-publishing school, mm-hmm. um, that join the launch team. They have no reason to worry about my feelings really, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and with the positive feedback, I start feeling a little more confident about my writing. I don't, um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I still, I go through an array of emotions. I go for, I read their feedback and I start feeling a little, little bit of confidence. And then I feel like, well, this is a very small group of people reading it. Mm-hmm. What are the majority going to feel? And I start tearing myself back down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's an array. I go back and forth. I mm-hmm. really go back and forth with it. Uh, but me reading it from start to finish, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. Oh, that's awesome. I'm excited. And I think, you know, right now of all times, it feels as if people are just hungry for true crime. I mean, all of the big podcasts and new and upcoming things, everything that's being released is true crime, this and true crime, that, and, you know, different takes and I'm just, it's huge right now. So I think that this, and I, and it's good. So I think it's going to be awesome. Um, (laughs) Thank you. What is the name of your book? I don't think we mentioned that. Oh, it's called The Night the Doorbell Rang. See, even that has like that creepy, oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I can say the doorbell rings in the middle of the night. Because it's not creepy if it's middle of the afternoon. I mean, it is, but not so much. Right? I know, right? I mean, it is. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I mean, my doors are always locked. I'm a huge, like, I trust no one. <laughs> right? You don't. And yes, I'm, me too. Yeah, and I'm very, 
I'm not necessarily polite. Like I don't feel the need to open my door. I don't care if people are knocking. I don't have to answer it. I don't care if it's a friend. If they really need to talk to me, they have my phone. I'll know they're coming. I'm just kind of, I'm I'm the exact same way. Yeah. I'm I'm just kind of sassy that way. I'm just like, you know, my kids, I remember one time they're like, mom, someone's knocking at the door. I'm like, I'm not expecting anyone. I really don't care. Don't answer it. And they're just like, right. What? (laughs) I don't know. And that's actually a good thing because working in the field that I do, um, for a while, there was this crime spree going on in San Diego County, um, California, where people were wearing these um, button up shirts and slacks and they were coming to people's doors with clipboards, like they're doing something, right? Mm -hmm. A little official. And when people would open the door, they would force themselves in and just burglarize the place mm-hmm. or rob the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was recent. This is since COVID started. Yeah. Um, and they were just going door to door. And if the people didn't open the door, they were turning on their sprinkler system uh, outside wow. to make the people go outside to turn off the water mm-hmm. to force them to open the door. Mm-hmm. It was very creepy. Mm-hmm. And so, and they were doing it in the middle of the afternoon, mm-hmm. broad daylight, you know, just, and then they're looking out their peepholes and going, Oh, it's just a guy with a clipboard. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want it. I'll just tell him whatever he's selling. I don't want any, mm-hmm. but opening the door and it's just kind of, it puts me in that kind of defensive world, but it's real. It's realistic. They were doing it until they, up until they got caught, they got into a lot of houses that way. A lot, and they terrorized a lot of people. So I'm the same way, and it kind of comes out in the book. Yeah, I actually kind of feel bad for the people who show up at my house because if they're lucky, I just don't answer the door. <laughs> because when I do, I'm I'm <laughs> irritated. I mean, if it's a friend, that's different. But right. you know, salesmen or right. you know, church missionaries of some sort or whatever, I'm just like. You're interrupting the very small amount of time I get with my family. You know, I work full time, plus I have this side gig and a podcast. Like I'm, I'm a little busy. You know, I can have a couple things on my plate. And when they interrupt that, I'm like, oh no, you didn't. You know, I'm like, (laughs) right. It is such an irritation to me. I'm like, I feel like I need to have a sign out front that's like, you know, knock at your own risk or something because I'm not rude but I'm not polite. I'm, you know, very yeah. abrupt and I've chased a couple people off in a way, not literally, but they've never <laughs> returned. It's understandable. Yeah. It's understandable. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. this day and age, our t- the little time we get of solitude is, you know, mm-hmm. disrupted by the ding dong. Yep. And then you're like, what? Yep. (laughs) What do you want? Well, and what I picked up within the first few pages of your book is if the doorbell rings in the middle of the night, you don't need to answer it. (laughs) Don't answer it. Just don't Don't answer answer it. Yep. And these are nice people. They, they, they're, they're worried that someone needs help. Yep. So they answer the door. Well, and I think that's one of the things that happens (laughs) in the middle of the night is we're not thinking clearly. So we don't put two and two together that everyone, I mean, I live in a small town. Everybody has my phone number. If they need me, they'll call me, you know? Right. And so if there's someone knocking on the door, of course, I know that's different in big towns, but, but not really. I mean, same thing. The people who, you know, who need you know how to get a hold of you. Right. Right. Oh, crazy. Cool. So where can they find your book if they're interested in getting their hands on it? Uh, The book's going to be, it's on Amazon. So it's available by ebook, uh, paperback and audiobook will be coming shortly, (gasps) but Uh ebook, ebook and paperback and then audiobook. Awesome. Are you going to read the audiobook or are you going to have it read by someone else? I'm not. That's why the audiobook will be a little delayed behind the ebook and the paperback because I need to find the right person to read it. I don't yeah. like hearing my own voice, yeah. let alone yeah. <laughs> hearing it, you know, having everybody else have to listen to it. I want, I don't know where I'm going to find somebody to read it yet, um, but it won't be me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm excited. I, I'm, gonna have to have all of it. So (laughs) I can't wait. 
All right. Is there anything else that you think people should know about your book or about you or even life in general? Um, no, just, um, I'm excited about the book. I feel good about it. Uh, I, it took me a year and a half to write, uh, mainly because, you know, life kind of got in the way, but not just that it was because I went back at one point and I read it and I thought that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there was this big push by people just get it out, just publish it, just release it, just let it go. Um, but I wasn't happy with that advice. Mm-hmm. I wasn't happy with have it just be okay just to release it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to feel better about it and read it. And when I read it from start to finish, um, and I smiled at the end and I felt like, okay, it's done. It's ready. Um, so I just hope people feel, I hope it can make them feel something. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. If somebody can read the book and go, that was terrifying or that scared me or that part was funny, there's that too. Um, or, you know, that made me feel some mm-hmm. sort of way. That's, that's what I hope. And I feel like it'll, that that's in there for people. So I think it is too. I think you've already nailed it and I can't wait for people to get their hands on it. So for sure, I will have it. Um, I'll have a link to your book too on in my show notes so people can just click right on it and make it a little bit simpler. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. I am so glad. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shallon, for being on here and for taking the time to visit with me. This is fun. Like I, I want to go hang out with you. It is. <laughs> I think I we should take I a mountain we retreat. So much in common. <laughs> I know. I I'm agree. Like, we I hundred percent. I'm like, we should ride motorcycles to the mountain and just like, Zen. (laughs) That would be so amazing. That would be so fun. Yes. (laughs) I knew, I knew when I read your book, I said, that's my people. Uh (laughs) I I absolutely love your book. (laughs) I know. I may have read it twice. (laughs) (laughs) And when we first met around that time, I, I remember asking you what you did and you told me army and I'm like, oh my gosh, like my dad was in the army. My boyfriend was in the army and he's law enforcement. My ex-husband was a cop. Like And I work in that field. Like I'm in the middle of, I work with detectives and all kinds of stuff in my day job. And I was like, okay, we're already best friends. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm thinking that too. It needs to happen. I know for sure. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And I cannot wait. Thank you so much for having me. Oh yeah. You're welcome. I love your show. Oh. I love your show. I listen to it. Thank so, you. Thank you. I, it's, an, it's an honor to be here. Oh, you. thank you so much. And I really can't wait for people to grab your book. I think they're going to love it. So here, and I'm going to be cheering you on. Like I'm going to be your cheerleader the whole way. So here we go. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Isn't she so cool? I mean, not only do we get to hear about her book, The Night the Doorbell Rang, and just everything that was involved in that. But we also get to hear who she is as a person, where she comes from, what her background is. And guys, let me just tell you, this woman is awesome. So I cannot wait for you to jump over to Amazon and get a copy of her book, The Night the Doorbell Rang. It's out. I have, since we recorded this, I have finished the book. Absolutely loved it. I know you're going to love it too. So check it out pick up her book and I will also have a link in the show notes or you can even hop over to my website at theheartofconfidence.com forward slash Shallon Harris. That's C-H-A-L-O-N-H-A-R-R-I-S. All right, my friend, I will be back in your downloads next week. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. (laughs) 